not prophetess, back again. It's truly been a minute since you've heard my voice. I took a little respite. I'm refreshed, and you know what? I'm here, and I'm here for you. Happy Valentine's Day. We have just a lovely Valentine's episode ready for your listening pleasure. We have our usual mystical forecast coming up, bringing you everything you need to know and probably some stuff you don't need to know. We have a pop culture and internet happening segment coming up for you. And for you, I even have a nostalgic look back on internet dating sims of the naughties. Then to top it all off, we have, of course, our piece de resistance, our Valentine's Day love line. So, without further ado, here is your mystical forecast. This month, we see five planets move into Aquarius, which is honestly kind of chaotic, messy, non-chill. On Valentine's Day, I would advise you to K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. There's a lot of volatile energy moving around this day that could cause arguments, so tread carefully, beloved. Our full moon on February 24th is at 5 degrees Virgo. This is a bit of a serious one as well with the sun conjunct Saturn. The heavens are saying, get real, sis. Set an intention to rid yourself of any toxic ways that aren't serving you, because full moons are a really good time to release this unwanted energy. And actually, the timing of this strict Saturn influence actually coincides nicely with Lent for those who celebrate. But even if you don't, there's probably something you could stand to live 40 days without, no? Moving on to pop culture. Award season has come and gone. It's a bit of a snooze for me. I'm not that into award shows these days, but I do love to look at the outfits. The one that stands out to me is Miley Cyrus's cage-like outfit and her large bouffant of hair that looked like a rare bird was nesting in it. I was both repulsed and enticed by her extremely strange choice to wear this. Ultimately, I think I enjoyed the look because I just keep thinking about it. I think it's actually very meta as she kind of looks like a little woman who would be on an actual award. Like, she looks like she could be the girlfriend of the little golden man who sits on the Oscar award. Kind of goddess-like and ornamental. Thank you, Miley, for giving me something to believe in, something to look forward to, as these award shows are so boring to me. I was getting the sense online that uh, the sorts of people who drink from Stanley Cups were mad that Barbie didn't win an Oscar, but they were pleased to hear that Taylor Swift won the album of the year. Which all makes sense because it was recently found that those cups have elevated amount of lead in them, which is known to impair judgment. At the Grammys, Taylor also announced her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, 
which sincerely sounds like a throwaway suggestion from ChatGPT when you ask it, what should I name my album that's going to have a black and white cover? In other news, Nicki Minaj has been on the hateful coke bender attacking Megan Thee Stallion and just any citizen on the internet who disagrees with her. The feud between Nicki and Megan has been ongoing, but has been partially reignited by Megan pointing out that Nikki continues to support multiple child sex offenders who are a part of her family. So Nikki is just on the internet calling Megan Bigfoot a lot and trying to make that nickname count, but no one's really biting, sis. I think Megan is doing the right thing by just staying totally silent as Nikki makes herself more and more insane. It's sad that such an iconic talent like Nikki is tarnishing her own reputation for some literal who men. Lastly, in pop culture news, the Super Bowl is happening right now at the time of this recording. And I have to say, I'm so happy that the team that's won has won and no one has ever uh, deserved to win more than the team that won. So go team. Onto the internet happenings of it all. I've been taking a little bit of an internet break as of late when it comes to things like Twitter or Instagram, so I'm slightly out of the loop, but there are a few things that I want to talk about before they become absolute ancient history. So as I touched on before, the Stanley Cup obsession of it all. Between viral videos of crazed fans waiting all night outside of a big box store for a limited edition cup, TikToks displaying shelves and shelves of different colored cups that these women collect, or haul videos displaying all the accessories you can buy to put on top of your Stanley Cup, one can only hope that the obsession with these ugly fucking cups is going to peak any moment now. Sorry to you if you own one of these cups and I just called your cup that you drink water out of ugly. I think that if one of my listeners has a Stanley Cup, it's like chic. But the way in which a lot of these TikTok people have them, really not chic. The collecting and the consumerism of it all is a little bit crazy to me because I thought the point of these things is to just have one or two, maybe three. It's supposed to be the replacement for a single-use plastic water bottle or a single-use cup from Starbucks, but then people end up having pantries full of these things. Why? Consumerism is truly taking its toll on the water enjoyers, I fear. So, another topic I wanted to mention. This happened a few weeks ago. The Taylor Swift AI porn fiasco. Yes, we're talking about Taylor Swift again. I'm sorry. It seems like she's omnipresent in a lot of my pop culture summaries, but... As you've probably experienced, that's just our world right now. We're just living in her world. This is just life post-Eras tour. 
Even the Super Bowl is kind of about her. So yes, a few weeks ago, some deepfake porn images of Taylor Swift circulated Twitter. They were up for three days before Twitter finally put a stop to it, deleted the posts, and shadow banned any attempts at searching for the content. I'm sure our control freak queen was foaming at the mouth, threatening Twitter with endless lawsuits. And more power to her, honestly. Not to be a killjoy if you thought this whole fiasco is funny, and there's a dark humor in it for sure, but it's my opinion that distributing highly realistic images of someone getting plowed in a gangbang is no different than revenge porn. As annoying as Taylor Swift is, I don't think we should be co-signing this kind of behavior and abuse of technology as a society. If we excuse it for Taylor, it does not bode well for your everyday woman or girl. Furthermore, what disturbed me about this content is not that it merely exists. Like, I've been on the internet for a while. I know what men be using this technology for. I know they used to make this same content with Photoshop before this technology existed. But no, what was more so disturbing me was the algorithm so eagerly distributing this content to me because I wasn't seeking it out. I don't follow any Taylor Swift accounts. I don't follow any AI accounts or porn accounts. So why were these images repeatedly being shoved down my throat on my timeline? I guess controversy alone can force the algorithm to dirty my eyes with pornography. But none of this bodes well, besties. Just none of it. Lastly, for internet happenings, I'm seeing a shitload of Mormon content on TikTok. Mormons are getting a lot of attention on there. And of course, it's partially due to the fact that all Mormon influencers are really beautiful, rich, have really cute families, cute senses of style... Mormons really have it on lock right now with the aspirational lifestyle content. Ever since I can remember, Mormons have been kind of a cultural touchstone that we all collectively point and laugh at, but it seems the tables are turning. Could Mormonism be becoming cool? Also, why are all Mormon women supernaturally beautiful? It's really got me wondering. Anyway... Since it's Valentine's Day, I thought I'd enlighten you with some of the formative romance researching I did as a child. Playing perverted dating sims on Newgrounds.com This field research was essential in building my knowledge as an award-winning love and romance expert. Because all of these games come from a male perspective, these games taught me the hardships men face in dating, how they grind for hours every day bettering themselves for just a fleeting chance that Stacy will look their way. Truly eye-opening. Let us start with Pico Sim Date. Released in 2006, it's probably the most popular dating sim on Newgrounds. The game follows Pico, a red-headed high school student. 
You start with 27 points to allocate to Pico between strength, intelligence, and charm. In the opening scene, Pico is greeted by his son, who has traveled back in time. His son claims to have messed up something in the timeline and is here to ensure that Pico ends up with his mother, lest he ceases to exist. Pico inquires about who his baby mama is supposed to be, and she's revealed to be, quote, that Asian girl, Nene, unquote. Just so you know, she has huge, big naturals. The goal of the game is to raise your charm, strength, and intelligence. Charm helps you socialize with the foids. Intelligence helps you make more money, which attracts the foids, and also allows you to buy them gifts that may sway their favor. Strength allows you to beat up Nene's other suitors. If you do the right things, you earn relationship points. You have 75 days to make a move on Nene by bringing her to the school dance, or your hypothetical son dies, I guess. I believe the first game is only slightly lewd with implied sexo toward the end. However, from a cursory Google images glance, it seems like later iterations of the game became more porny. I remember being drawn to play this game as a child pervert for two reasons. One, it had a The Sims sort of appeal, in that the game is ultimately about self-improvement. This is definitely girl boss coded. And two, it was an insight into the male psyche, and I wanted to understand why they would, like, play this game when they could probably just Google boobs. I've come to understand that it's all about the conquest for a man. It was the hard work and dedication that would make those anime boobs so rewarding. The next sex-perverted game I wanted to discuss is Date Ariane. Released in 2004, this is a visual novel slash choose-your-own-adventure dating sim consisting of 3D-rendered still images of a woman named Ariane. She smiles placidly at you as you choose from an array of options meant to impress her, such as read a poem, dance with her, or squeeze breast. The game can apparently get blatantly pornographic if you manage to impress Ariane, but be warned that you can't move too fast with this one. The smallest actions completely set this woman off. Like, I'm sorry Ariane, I spilled ketchup on you, but that really means I can't fuck. So you will likely have a safer work experience with Ariane. One of Ariane's most maniacal shit tests is when she quizzes you on your knowledge of the basaltic plains of the moon. Oh, you don't know anything about this lunar mare? <laughs> it's over. You can go home now. The final game I would like to discuss with you is one that's very close to my heart. I have a lot of good memories with this game. It taught me a lot about friendship, love, life. I'm talking, of course, about Orgasm Girl. The name says it all. This game, released in 2004, tasks you with the goal of fingering a rudimentarily drawn anime girl named Ashley without waking her up. Extremely to-the-point gameplay, but challenging for even the most seasoned players. Your only tools are your own hands and scented candles for some reason. And just in case you're wondering, the entire time the music sounds like this. It's very Requiem for a Dream, 
I remember playing this as a tween alone in my family's computer room, the room that was for the computer. The music that I could have definitely turned off was striking fear into my heart each second. I was paranoid that I would be caught, but too entranced by the existence of this bizarre game to turn it off. Why was I drawn to this game in the first place, you might ask? Well, I have high openness to experience. I always have. I've always been an extremely curious soul, constantly thirsting for knowledge. Couple this with an unbridled internet access, and you might find yourself lurking in some unsavory alleyways of the internet and becoming terminally bisexual. There were definitely more of these sorts of games, but these were just some of the highlights and early self-inflicted traumatizations that I remember from my childhood. Sound off in the comments if you played any of these as a kid or if your parents actually monitored your computer use in 2007. And with that, let's move on to our Valentine's Day Loveline questions. Okay, we're starting off with a really sincere banger. How to meet Foids when I have a poor social life, plus I am ugly. Well, I'm sorry, beloved, but it's over. If you don't have money for jaw surgery, you could always become a Tibetan monk. Now let's move on to a more handsome inquirer. Okay, I almost ended your question like that because your question was low effort and silly. But I feel kind of bad, so I will give you a low effort canned net profitess answer, which is go outside, enrich your life with friendships and passions outside of having sex with voids, and if you build it, they will come. Do you think certain cities attract certain people? I'm in a very fratty, barstool sports type of city, and I've struggled to make any meaningful connections or eventful dates. I've tried branching out and hanging out in circles I normally wouldn't, but besides some friends, nothing. The apps make me question the presence of God, so I prefer to meet potential significant others in person. My city is also notorious for cheating and hookup culture to the point where it's part of the city's culture. Should I move? Certainly, cities attract different kinds of people. I think it's totally reasonable to think about moving when you don't think you'll be able to find the one where you are. Maybe it's time for you to take a weekend trip to another city to see what the vibes are like out there. While you're visiting somewhere else, consider using the apps just in this instance as a tool to suss out the vibes and calibrate your baydar. The apps are not for everybody and they definitely are godless in many ways, but at times they can be a useful tool. I wish you well in your potential move. Let's move on to the next one. If a girl tells you she had a dream about you, with other people in it as well, what does that mean? It was a positive one from what she told me. I feel that when a woman tells you she had a dream and you were in it, she's communicating a feeling of fondness for you and perhaps a desire to get closer to you. Never underestimate a woman and her dreams. And honestly, I would be fascinated to hear a full report of this dream sequence. Keep me posted. 
I have been single since the beginning of the year, and while I hate to admit it, I'm lonely and jealous of people who have significant others. But at the same time, I don't feel like I deserve a relationship. I feel like I have to be perfect to find someone I actually want. And I also feel like the person I want doesn't even exist. All this makes me feel even more alone. I have a hard time being intimate physically and emotionally, and it makes me think that my heart has closed. How do I begin to open it back up? This is a good question, Anon. It sounds like you're judging your own negative feelings a lot, but I think you should give yourself permission to feel lonely and jealous because those feelings don't make you bad. They're just feelings. We can't control the feelings we have, but we can control our responses to those feelings. As in, it's great that you're not murdering everyone who has a boyfriend right now and a jealous chimp out. That's a win. You don't even realize that you're winning. I feel that in order to open back up, you should focus on nurturing yourself. Someone once told me, the worse you feel, the more you need to be taking care of yourself. And to that I say, so true, bestie. Sometimes nurturing yourself can mean taking better care of your body or taking out just a little bit of more time every day to do something creative. I can sense from your question that you're a bit of a perfectionist, but you need to be kinder to yourself and have a kinder inner voice to feel safe enough to bring walls down. When you're experiencing a lot of fear and sadness, it's time to actively schedule pockets of joy into your everyday life. If this all sounds gay, it's because it is. Life is about gaiety. Let yourself have fun. Let yourself enjoy feeling good. Allow yourself to deserve it. Gaiety is the most outstanding feature of the Soviet Union. Anyway, thank you for opening up to me, and I hope you find some inner peace about this all soon. I've gone on two dates with a girl who has a disability where she can't physically smile or facially emote much. I like her and I think the feelings are mutual, but it's hard to get a read on her because of her condition. What should I do in this situation? Do I just be more open in conversation with her? It feels weird though to talk about her condition or try to talk around her condition. I feel it would unintentionally make it seem like it's something that detracts from her as a person. At the same time, my mind wanders to the possibility of a future together, and the possibility that I'd never be able to wake up to her smile. How can I know if this will be a deal breaker for me? I think it's a deal breaker if you're not willing to talk about it with her. It's fair to want to have a conversation with her about how she likes to navigate communication considering her disability. I don't think it would make her feel bad unless you went about it in a really strange way. In my experience, most people with disabilities prefer that you would just ask about accommodations they might need or what their preferences are instead of being awkward or afraid to talk to them. If you're serious about this girl, it's worth having the conversation about communication style. I'm guessing you just have to be more direct than in other relationships for your own sanity to find out what she's feeling at certain points. For instance, if you feel like she might be pissed off at the outfit you chose to wear on your date and you don't have a facial expression to go off of, you may need to ask her, babe, is it okay that I'm wearing socks with sandals? 
ultimately the deal breaker of it all that's something your intuition needs to tell you tune in to the radio station within your heart beloved moving right along to the next one i've started to see a woman who's into some very extreme things in the bedroom things that make 50 shades of gray look mid I'm a pretty open-minded guy, but my rule of thumb is I never want to feel like I'm doing something illegal. At times, I do, and I don't feel comfortable doing some of the things she asks me to do, but I enjoy her company so much that I do it anyways. What's odd is she's a very shy woman outside of the bedroom. She works with kids. It's very bizarre that this is the same person. I'd like to make this work, but at this point, it's altering how I view her. Not even in a Madonna whore complex way, but in a damn, she needs therapy kind of way. How do I let her know it's too extreme without hurting her feelings or making her feel depraved? Besides this, she's lovely, and I could see it working long term. I feel you on this, Anon, and it's very sweet that you're concerned about her mental health. I really think this is happening to a lot of people due to over-porn consumption. And for the porn heads rolling their eyes at me right now, I just don't think this woman would naturally want to be spun naked on the wheel of death while Anonymous is throwing knives at her or whatever if she wasn't watching hardcore porn. But I'll get off my soapbox, I digress. I think it's fine that she wants to be subby in the bedroom, but it's also fair that you don't want to commit a felony. Let her know in a gentle way, in a neutral moment, outside of sex, what your limits are with that kind of stuff. Just be honest that you don't feel comfortable in doing something that too closely mimics abuse, whether or not she's consenting. I think she's coming from a place of wanting to be thrilled and in your absolute control, so maybe she should stop being such a demanding sub and let you take charge and do the things you want to do. Okay, let's do another one. How much of a red flag is it that a woman I went on a date with said she only dates people of my demographic? Besides this, very little red flags on the date, but for sure this made me raise my eyebrow. I'm going to assume this is a race fetishist sort of question from the little information you gave me. What other demographic could you be a part of? Scientologist? Furry? double-jointed. It is a little weird for her to be so gung-ho about admitting this, but on the other hand, people like what they like. It can be nice to know that you're someone's type, just so long as they don't try to do sexy Japanese internment camp reenactments with you or something. I think it's gonna be fine. I hope this works out for you and that you end up having beautiful interdemographical babies. Wishing you well. I've been celibate voluntarily for a month due to having very shitty dating experiences, including being emotionally strong-armed into a very short, lasting relationship with someone I was seeing casually. I need to work on myself and heal and all that mumbo-jumbo, but I'm developing a crush on someone, very slowly, mind you. Should I put these feelings away? Mind you, at best it's very subtle tongue-in-cheek flirting. Having a crush can be so much fun. I say let yourself have fun. It doesn't have to go anywhere, but it's always nice to have someone to daydream about. 
when you go to work or school, that can really make it bearable. I see your fear of potentially jumping into something without properly healing, but you sound like someone who has a self-control to let something unfold until you're certain. Also, sometimes we don't properly 100% heal in between relationships, and something is just right when it's right. Trust your intuition, have fun, and Godspeed with your healing mumbo-jumbo. Alright. My job is very demanding and makes it hard to date because I often just cannot be as available as most girls want me to be. I also can't text consistently during the day and women feel like I'm not giving them enough attention. I will not be able to quit my job for a couple of years. What do? If I were you, I would just be super upfront about your schedule and texting style so these ladies don't feel blindsided. You need someone who's willing to plan ahead and schedule time with you. This is a tough situation, but I think there are little things you can do that make women feel more secure and cherished, if you will. You don't have to text extensively throughout the day, but definitely put in the effort to send a thoughtful message at some point. Try to remember important things about her, her favorite things, make her feel listened to because you don't have a lot of time to demonstrate things like this. Also, do not be afraid to send a sweet message. I feel like some guys are really playing into the psyop of, don't be a simp, bro. But you can't be afraid to crank up the charm a little bit in this sexual marketplace. This is all to say, don't be a dry texter. Let your seldom sent texts be something to look forward to instead of something anticlimactic. Again, I know your situation isn't the easiest because dating is time consuming and it's such a bitch when work gets in the way of life like this. But it's obvious that you're a hard worker and the right lady is going to see that and admire that in you. So keep going and I believe in you, Anon. Alright, on to the next one. Hello, beloved prophetess. I hope this inquiry finds you well. I have an older male friend who I think is cheating on his wife. He has lied and said they were getting a separation to a mutual friend of ours. He doesn't wear a wedding band, gets numbers of younger women at bars, and the most he's talked about his three children is when he mentioned he'll be getting a tax break because of them. He's also super funny and charming, has led an interesting and impressive life, and is vaguely tragic and sometimes touches my knee. Should I give it a shot? Love, bestie. Um, beloved? Okay, honestly, this message gave me whiplash. I thought you were going to ask me if you should report the cheating to his wife or something. So I'm just recalibrating myself right now. Lord. Okay. I've, I've recovered. My advice is only give this a shot if you're seeking impermanent excitement and you're okay with that. If it's true that he's had all these kids and he's a serial cheater, he's obviously not Prince Charming. You're not going to fix him. 
But maybe, morality aside, you could have a fun flash in the pan. People like this are more trouble than the excitement is worth, though, in my opinion. As your spiritual advisor, I say you're in danger, girl. Good luck. Alright, here's another one. I'm an antisocial woman, and I have a hard time making and sticking to plans. How do I get myself out of the house and be a good friend? It might be helpful to think about the root of the anxiety. For instance, sometimes I will have anxiety at 8am about meeting a friend at 10pm because I have to do laundry. But beloved, laundry doesn't take 10 hours, it's irrational. Assess whether you're antisocial because of social anxiety itself, or some other ambient worrying, or both. Knowing the root of your anxiety will make it easier to get out of the house. It also may help to put a financial incentive into the mix if you're always canceling plans. What if you paid for a few pottery classes, painting classes, yoga, whatever you're interested in? Something like that. If you literally invest in something, it makes it harder to cancel. And it doesn't have to be expensive. It could be five bucks, 25 bucks, something at your community center. Or if you're not interested in taking classes, you could say to a friend, can you hold on to 50 bucks for me? And if I cancel on you, you can keep the 50 bucks. Sometimes you just have to do something very strange and out of the norm to break old habits, so do what you will with these strange, wild tactics I'm giving you, but I'm wishing you well. Hope this helps. Okay, and here is our last question for today. A girl pointed out she liked me. I got a crush, acted awkward about it, and I think it icked her out. Is there any way to remedy this? If not, how do I get this to stop happening? Well, it really depends on what you mean by acted awkward. And what keeps happening? Did you do the cotton eye Joe in front of her and her family? I need more context, beloved. All in all, just pretend like you're in a play. The show must go on. Keep doing your part until they yoink you off the stage with a giant hook. Ask her on a date or something. The fear of rejection is worse than actual rejection every single time. With that being said, I'm praying that you stop scaring the hose as soon as mortally possible. Good luck. That's it. That's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed. Thank you so much for spending Valentine's with me. I hope it's been a good one for you. I think that this has been the best Valentine's Day ever for me because you're with me. I'd like to say a special thank you to my patrons. Thank you, patrons. Right now, I'm going to pray for success in all your endeavors, so let us light the Net Prophetess prayer candle.
Okay, you're blessed and bossed up for success. Thank you for being there for me, patrons, because without you, I would have no money causing me to die. You keep this show running with your generosity. Anyway, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at NatProphetess for my prophetic posts. Click the link in the show notes if you would like to submit a love question and... Have a blessed day, beloved. Love you all. Okay, bye.